the Koi Gig part on Off The Ball. You do get tired of winning. People say, oh, you never get tired. You do. You get tired of winning. You get tired of winning easily. You actually want competition in the end. You want to have to work Subscribe for it. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. Now, you're welcome, Max. So we are going to turn our attention to Athens, Greece against the Republic of Ireland on Friday night in Group B of the Euro 2024 uh, qualifiers here at last. A defining game in many ways for Stephen Kenny, but then again, aren't they all? It's been that kind of a tenure. Greece, 3-0 winners against Gibraltar uh, thus far. Ireland, of course, beaten 1-0 by France in Dublin. Ireland will play uh, Gibraltar on Monday night then in Dublin. And if your sense of this is that these are two sides very much jostling for third and hoping to have a chance of pulling off a bit of a shock in this group with France and the Netherlands, then Greece feel exactly the same way about us as we feel about them. Uh, Greek manager Gus Poyet these days, he said we must win against Ireland if we were to stand a chance of qualification in this group. So it is all set up. Let's get over to Athens. Dan McDonnell of the Irish Independent is patiently waiting. Hello, Dan. Hi, Joe. How are you? Very well. So uh, for a lot of the players, preparation uh, for this game has dragged on. The championship in particular, uh, those players finished up a long time ago. They've had a camp in Bristol. They've had a camp in Turkey. They are now in Athens. They must be sick of the sight of each other. Well, I mean, you would hope that they're not. (laughs) I mean, that's obviously the... You would hope that they're sort of... They're sort of, I don't know, savouring the fact that they never get to spend this much quality time together. You know, they generally uh, they generally come together when there's a, I don't know, get, get together on a Monday and there's a game on a Thursday and it's all a bit sort of, you know, manic and, and pressurised and, and you head back to your club and, I mean... It's exciting, it's romantic, it's, you know, God, I haven't seen you in so long. Imagine me and you stuck together for weeks on end. I mean, it would be hell. It would be hell. But I mean, but we would obviously outwardly portray the image that it's been very good. And, oh, and very fruitful. Yeah. It, it, it could have, it could be those things. It could both be hell and also productive. You know, you could learn more about the, the knowledge of an individual. Like everyone's not about Evan Ferguson, right? Like you're not, you're not an Irish footballer now if you don't get asked about Evan Ferguson within, uh, you know, two minutes. Like every interview, because I was in Turkey for a couple of days and, now in Athens and it feels like every every player interview now goes down the line of you know how are you getting on you know general discussion and what do you make of this Evan Ferguson kid you know but I suppose they're all spending time uh, away with Evan Ferguson and, and newer players in the group and you would hope that the preparation time is used beneficially but also with younger players I mean maybe it's, is it different that it's a younger core of players that it's not like you know happy go lucky in a nice hotel but tennis golf pool i think stuff like that if you had an older core of the squad who had families at home and stuff yes. is, is it is your attitude a little bit different i, I don't so. know i mean yeah i it's think it's quite so. a young group so maybe it's not as draining as it might be for a team of old pros you could you could you could maybe draw that point and i presume none of the players said ferguson yeah he's not all that you'd be surprised to hear that no they haven't um they haven't gone down that road i think I mean, look, paper talk is paper talk. You know, you know, sort of players who are media trained will always say the right things. But I think what is probably striking is the that the you can always sense if there's an undertone and what people say about someone. It's like, oh, he's a confident lad. You know, can be portrayed as something else. You know, you've heard that about certain young players who've come in in the past. But 
I think what people genuinely are saying about Evan Ferguson, that's why people probably feel optimistic about his prospects, um, is that he does slot into the group fairly easily. You know, he is sort of quite a likable, grounded fella. You know, we were talking to David Collins the other day about him and just the discussion naturally went along the lines of they're actually both both Collins and Ferguson had dads who were footballers and does that in some way influence their mentality? They've been around the game from a certain age or they know the game and um I don't know, Evan Ferguson seems to be a really good character and and sort of easygoing and not high maintenance and that probably helps um, everyone warm to his story. Like even if they are rivals, you do sense that people are quite happy for him, um, as opposed to yeah. as you know, sort of thinking mm, this lad's a bit he's a bit cocky. It's, there's no sense of that at all. So primarily the point of this camp has been to maintain fitness for players who have such a long wait from the end of their club season to these two games. Obviously, I suspect the time has been used to further uh, dig down into tactics and style of play and all of those things that international managers uh, are, are so desperate to do and don't get the time to do all that often. So in so much as you can deduce from what players have said here or there or what agents have said or what Kenny has said. How have they used the time? Because I'm, I'm sure there has been that or and or aspect as well. Yeah, I mean, it is a long time away together. I mean, they did have that initial training camp in Bristol the week before last, which was for the championship players, the EFL players, a couple of League of, League of Ireland players in that squad. And that was like a four-day. That was just like sort of topping up, I suppose, for players who've been out of time but yeah I mean they, they, they spent 10 days in Turkey um, and that's a long time I mean I definitely think you know there's two ways of looking at it you know it definitely reduces your scope for excuses you know around preparation I think at times in the Kenny era I mean I talked about it earlier you come in on a Monday you have a game on a Thursday you have like two training sessions bang bang here you go um, I mean this game has been circling the diary for some period of time that there's, there's very little forgiveness if you suddenly look like a team that hasn't doesn't have a game plan. So I think the first week in Turkey, um, they weren't doing specific work on Greece per se, in the sense that they weren't doing like video work on Greece and, and specific Greece oriented stuff. It was more in-house stuff building towards that. And they had a three uh, 11 v 11 games, short and sharp ones, I think on the Wednesday of last week. And then it was all building up to Saturday but they were meant to play a training match in Turkey, couldn't find a suitable opponent, so played an in-house 70-minute game. That was a 11 v 11, uh, quite intense. I think players have reported saying it was very hard going. Part of the reason for Turkey was to climatise for Greece and actually to go for, for tougher conditions as it happened. So that in a weird way, while it is quite warm here in Athens, for players it might be a shock to the system you know, if they came from Dublin training to suddenly intense stuff in Greece, it would be like, wow, what's this? I think the 11 v 11 in, in, in Greece was about, sorry, in Turkey, apologies, yeah. was about that. So they, they had two days off then, Sunday, Monday, you know, players were able to sort of unwind. And then um, from Tuesday onwards, it's been intense into Greece stuff and very targeted game plan specific uh, work. So, um, I think, you know, Troy Parrott made a point that um, while they didn't maybe realise they were doing Greece preparation last week, they were in terms of certain things they were doing. Um, but now it's very much defined in the sense of they've done the, the proper Greece homework. I mean, to be fair, in that 11 v 11 game, 
the second team as such were set up in the Greece formation in the four three three that Greece play, um, you know, to 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 give them the sort of proper the proper preparation um, for the first team. Although I don't, I think they swapped. You know, I don't think it was quite the first team, but you know, the bones of it, just to get an idea. So again, like I mean, in fairness, I don't think you can say they've done they've left things to chance in terms of preparation, which is great. But obviously, I mean. There's a no excuses element then that comes with that if if, yeah. if you look like a rabble on the day. I think uh, Stephen Kenny was openly not loving the idea of Athens in the middle of June. So is it as uh, stifling and hot and sticky as we might fear? Do you know, I don't think it is what it was imagined to be when the draw was made last October. Um you know, there was two aspects to the draw. I mean, getting France and, and Holland was obviously a nightmare, but getting Greece in June was, wasn't was far down the list in terms of bad news. And um, just because the Greece games are, are clearly so important to establish a foothold in the group, to have a chance of of the upset, you know, you need to take care of Greece as much as you possibly can. Um, I mean, like you you occasionally have, you know, 40 degree days here, you know, and it's, and it's cooling down at night. But from talking to people here, um, the classic... Great chat with the local taxi driver coming in last night, a football fan, basically doing my research for me in certain ways. Um, but basically he was saying, listen, it's it feels more like it just hasn't, we haven't hit the peak of summer here at all yet. You feel that yourself. Um, I mean, it is warm today. It's 28 degrees. Like it's 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 hard enough going. There's two and a half thousand Irish fans traveling. Anyone who was, who was doing that, who was on the way out or whatever, yeah, but like prepare for warm weather. But the fact is that the, the kickoff is 9.45 p.m. local time, just with time difference. Um, the feeling is it's going to be 21, 22 degrees. Yeah, it's difficult, but it's not something that's, you know, career-defining memories of this um, heat in Greece. The, the, the forecast doesn't appear to be along those lines. I mean, the reference point for preparations is Ireland flagging badly in Yerevan last year in Armenia. Even that game was 5 o'clock local time. Um a different animal compared to this so the hope is that the heat while it's relevant and you have to have a degree of conditioning to still be able to to manage that and I'm not saying it's going to be easy but it's it's not the monster we, we possibly feared it might have been okay. uh, at the time well that's very encouraging so two and a half thousand fans travelling over it is the AEK Athens Stadium 32,000 uh, capacity it looks very nice and compact and atmospheric as for Athens generally, I've never had the pleasure. I guess it's one of those places you should really uh, get to. Even a cursory glance here at Google Images, Dan, and it's a pretty stunning place. I, I, I don't suppose you've been up the Acropolis uh, just yet, but what's your uh, sense of Athens? Well, actually, I did, because I travelled overnight um, from Turkey. I just decided to travel overnight um, just to be here first thing this morning. Um, so I actually did. The first thing I did was to try and wander oh. off. Direction. Well, now, let's, let's turn you into a travel journalist. Give it to us. Well, well, <laughs> this is where my failing as a travel journalist come in. I went up the Acropolis, uh, went up there. It's a 15 minute sort of walk, sort of uphill from the city centre to get to um, where the Acropolis is. So you sort of pass um, the thing, you know, it's a sort of a flea market. You go through that. It's very sort of old school. Um, Hadrian's Library, there's like a ro- another rooms there of a uh, of an old ancient uh, building but the Acropolis I got there and the queues are very long and I just decided I'm not taking the queue I'm not sitting standing in that queue I've got work to do I sort of hoped it might be a little bit quiet 
Um, it wasn't. Um, but I had a look from a distance, and there was like just these rock foundations just across me. You could climb up to get a good view of the Acropolis themselves. Of the Acropolis itself. I mean, it's stunning. You have just a view of the whole city, which is incredible. Like, I've never been here before, um, and you probably have an image of Athens in your head of like uh, this sort of ancient, rustic sort of quality. You know, you have this view, and it, it is that. You know, like it, it very much is that. So, um, I mean, there's a lengthy queue to get in. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Like I'm, bit, like, I'm not always great on the sort of the. Uh, I was at the Colosseum in Rome. I've been there. I sort of feel like I don't know the way I appreciate it fully. I like the museums and going in and learning about the history, but just sort of just going for a walk around it and stuff. I don't know. Is it? Am I going to brave the queue for an hour, an hour and a half to do it? I might not. But um, I mean, it is like location-wise and where it positioned over Athens. It's stunning. Like, and, and you will have, like, you'll see loads of pictures of Ireland fans there on Friday without a shadow of a doubt, you know. Um, I think um, it turns out you weren't uh, showing false humility. Your your instincts about your pedigree as a travel journalist, spot on. That was abysmal. Good man. That was, Joe, I mean, halfway through, I was like, it was a travel (laughs) travel review delivered um, as though you were talking about like, uh, I don't know, a League One match. Oh my God. I felt like Father Stone went to Athens and came back and talked to me about it. (laughs) Well, I can tell you, I mean, I've travelled a lot of places around the world and I just realised that like, the, the sort of the, the archaeological that type of stuff for me wouldn't be my thing. I'd yeah. like an old uh, uh, an old history museum, you know, that all Eastern Europe, a lot of those places. But Athens, the, the beauty of the beauty of the buildings is just lost in me, Joe. Okay, you, you, the, you can't get those minutes back. The upkeep, but I, mean, I would the, recommend the, up, recommend the, the upkeep of the Acropolis doesn't quite do it for you. You know, it's, it's, just, yeah, it's, it's just it's a bit not, faded. Like, not what it was. I feel like you need an eye for it, don't you? Like, you <laughs> yeah, need I don't know. Eye. How big was the queue, by the way, if anyone's ever thinking of heading over and doing it? What was that, sorry? How big is the queue for anyone who's actually thinking? Oh, no, that? like, it is. That's the thing. Like, there was just only one entrance um, and it was going around the corner and it was moving pretty slowly. And I, I did that thing where you stand at the back of the queue, yeah. see how quickly it's moving. And the people around you were sort of grumbling um, about it. Um, so, I don't know. It's possible there probably is some way where you can pay premium over the odds to like uh, skip the queue yeah uh, i might look at that on match day i mean it is a 9 45 p.m kickoff oh, yeah. but um like it's it's to be honest though to me i mean i'll joke aside i just love walking around the city sometimes you can all you can all move towards the main site where everyone wants to go mm. like this is the the spot to go and i think sometimes you lose the essence of the city like by spending all your time there like just there's, there's people there trying to sell you this and that or whatever Whereas actually just the city itself, the walk up to it is as good as anything um, because there's a real sort of buzz and a hum to it. And like, you know, sort of an edginess in some ways as well, in the sense that like, it's not like, um, it's not a pristine city or anything like that. There's mm. a real sense of like, um, you know, it's, I suppose maybe you know that in, in a weird way from football and what the atmosphere in the stadiums can be like. Like I've never been to Athens, but been to Thessaloniki where Pauk play. And it's obviously a real intense like hell of an environment and and sort of rough and ready in parts, but like real. Yeah, you know, it's not something that's um, everything is like perfectly clean pavements and 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 all of that. It's there's a little bit more something a little bit more earthy to it, and that's actually what I liked about. It. I just liked about walking around the place. Yes, so, yes, as opposed to something quasi Disneyland. No, I take the point. Listen. Pay for that premium, skip the queue job, stick it on the independent accounts uh, tab. I know how you operate down the years. You've, you've done worse. 
Well, I mean, thank you, Joe. Um, <laughs> that is possibly true, but I mean, I'm just going to redact any comments at this point onward. Um, so let's talk uh, football then. I saw you were writing about Troy Parrott, who was speaking to the media. Uh, so Troy Parrott, I, I think, and he has been for some time, but is, is now approaching a very interesting juncture in his career, I suppose, as the years begin to tick by. And, and he is still so young. But uh, four goals in 31 appearances for Preston as part of his latest uh, loan move. He managed to injure himself in the celebration after his first championship goal in October, which didn't help things. And for Ireland, he's played 18 times at this stage, has four goals. The highlights being that last minute winner against Lithuania, which really was an amazing moment. And the uh, link up with Obafemi against Scotland. These um, were big uh, moments for Troy Paradin and Irish Jersey. It's kind of interesting how we view him because I must say my first thought when Ange Postacoglu was appointed was not, oh, Troy Parrott, yeah. Ange, how will that work? I, I, I probably, like many people, don't see him really as, as likely to make it at Spurs. It's such a big club and the lone move at Preston, you couldn't say he lit it up in the way that Tom Cannon did and we'll come to Cannon in a moment. So what Parrott said about the situation was, I'll go back to Spurs in pre-season and I'll try and show Postacoglu what I can do. And then I go from there. And he seemed to be none the wiser, really, about his future. That's a fair sense of where um, Parrot is. Did he, did, what, what was the tone behind his um, chat with the media? Is he worried? Is he feeling pretty good about things? What was your sense? Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I sort of felt a little bit sorry for Parrot, right? Because he only ended up doing media at the last minute because Michael Obafemi was meant to do it and then just decided he wasn't going to do it for whatever reason. That's the end of Parrot, who was just sort of like training away diligently. I think it was and seems to be quite obliging with this stuff, was like at the last minute, he was told, you're doing it, Troy. And like no one is necessarily expecting um, Parrot to be involved in this game. I don't, I don't think so anyway, maybe off the bench. Um, so it's a harsh one, really, because like, he hasn't exactly had the best of years and, and you're sort of thrust in there to suddenly talk about it. And maybe that like speaks to his character in some way that like he's he's willing to do it. And like he seems to be a very established member of the squad. Like even in the context of the Tom Cannon stuff, you know, people and maybe it's just like the online world and, and it's very fickle. Everyone's like, oh, why is why is you know why is Parrot even in the squad? And it's like, well, hang on a little bit. Like I mean, this time twelve months ago, like he did goal and assist against um, against Scotland in a big game. You know, he was first choice. Um, he missed a big chance in Scotland in September. Okay, fair enough. But like he like he actually. He summered, well, even two summers ago, um, he scored those goals in Andorra that really helped Stephen Kenny at that time. So um, he's got 18 caps. Like He's a popular enough member of the group or he's an established member of the group. And people just want to bin these lads out sometimes very quickly, you know, because they've had a bit of a shaky run. Whereas clearly, like, you know, Stephen Kenny is a believer, the staff are a believer. And I, I think, like, Parrot's a funny one because I think you certainly have a perception of him and even with like the bleach blonde hair now and the sort of uh, the look, he has the look of the footballer. He's always had that little bit of a swagger, but like Stephen Kenny goes out of his way to talk about his dedication, like what a hard worker he actually is. Um, you know, the, the the sort of even getting back from that injury, Kenny was making the point, not many others would have, that actually for all the maybe the appearances and stuff you might look at, he's actually really, really working to try and make the best of his career when, unfortunately, like the story that we're probably seeing is that um, oh, he just hasn't met the expectations here, you know? And that's, it's tough, but he's only 21. And like, he was almost making that point himself, Parrot. It's like, well, I am only 21. Yeah. When he gets to the Evan Ferguson question, you know, 
can you give him any advice about the spotlight? And it's almost like you're expecting Parrot to take on that. Well, yeah, when I was a lad, like it's, it's three years ago and he's still only a lad. Like, you know, and like I was making the point that I was looking at, it is funny you look at the profile of the four Irish strikers in the squad here. You've got Adam Eda, who's 22, Obafemi, who's 22, Parrot is 21, Evan Ferguson is 18. I was looking back at um, the Euro 2016 squad. Robbie Keane was 35, Daryl Murphy 33, Walters 32, Shane Long 29. Like it's, it's a complete change. But I think then what, what you have is that when you have four really young strikers, you're, you're competitively like pitting them all against each other. And it feels like Parrot is forwards right now. Um, yes, if he was on his own and there was no other young strikers in his age group, you'd be thinking, okay, he's 21, he's made mistakes, you know, he's highs and lows, but, you know, we'll be fine. Where it feels like he's under a little bit more pressure now because of the Ferguson factor and, and the profile of some of the others. And, and I mean, I remember going over to cover his first game for Spurs at 17 against Colchester and there was a massive buzz and maybe just everything seems like an anti-climax compared to our expectations of um, and you're right, Like I, I feel like a lot of people in their head wouldn't be thinking about Spurs and, and Troy Parrott. Um, they almost forget, but he, he has spent the last three years on loan. So, um, and even Stephen Kenny has started talking about, well, he needs to have a good loan this year. So, you know, there's, mm. there's no one really thinking that it's going to happen from there at the moment, mm. unfortunately. But, like, that's, I mean, that's supposedly his motivation yeah. to, to go and try and prove. And if he is a, a good trainer, which he seems to be, then, you know, maybe pre-season wise, he can in some ways try and at least plant the seed. I like to think of Obafemi on a sun lounger with a cocktail uh, looking over at Parrot speaking to the media as this is happening. <laughs> Sucker. Um, Tom Cannon, 20 years of age. So he pitched up at Preston, same club as Troy Parrot from Everton. Uh, he pitched up in January and managed to score eight times. Parrot had been there all year, scored four. Uh, Lee Carsley, had a look, said we like the cut of your jib. Had you fancied the English under twenty ones? And uh, Tom Cannon, his agent, I think, informed uh, FAI Stephen Kenny he's uh, considering the situation. That generally means the direction of travel is going in a pretty obvious way. So that's that. I would think is the general feeling. Well, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't look particularly great. I mean, um, you're always waiting to be proved wrong. I mean, I suppose at times with certain players in the past, you know. James McCarthy or Obafemi even, like there's been fears, you know, that have existed, however valid they were or not, and how much of it was paranoia or not. But don't remember them. Any anytime anyone's taken some time out, it's generally um yeah, that's, way. that's my point. When yeah. when they when they take themselves out of a squad, um, it generally doesn't look great, to be honest. And yeah, I mean it's it's I mean, like there's something vexing about the, the the whole sort of rigmarole that comes with these eligibility um, discussions because there's always a sense of well, what could have been done. I think with this one, it's, I mean, the scope is, is is narrow enough for what could be done. I mean, the whole thing has changed now. It's not a case that one cap does it anymore. Um, you throw them in. Um, but Cannon just seems to have taken a lot of people by surprise. All um, right, okay. You know, like I think he, um, he was around the Ireland setup before I don't know if he was identified as like a complete flight risk who was going to take the world by storm. Um, and maybe you have to step back. And I don't know, is it Lee Carsley or is it just the English, you know, the English recruitment team generally? Like they probably are more proactive in this zone. And 
Um, I think there is a feeling that maybe striker might be a slight problem position for them. I mean, it seems daft. I mean, they have some great strikers, but maybe like they don't have an obvious superstar coming through. So they want to spread the net wide. And, and you know, if there's someone, you know, scoring a lot of goals at championship level, who seems to be a real number nine type of front man. Well, then you, you dangle the carrot in their direction. And, and it seems to have been seems to have been effective enough but I, I don't know like I don't I don't know when this one is in a case of well this is one that's got away by something that wasn't done like could Ireland have brought him into the squad in March um, you know maybe they could have done that um, but I feel at that stage him going to play for the 21s when there was this kid called Evan Ferguson he still wanted to play in the you know in, the, in March you know yeah. friendly games uh, the friendly game against Lafayette that was more important um, I don't know if you can completely live your life as a nation and treating every player qualifying through, through those rules as a flight risk at all times and make all your decisions with that in mind. Yeah, I mean, clearly, I, I'm you not have sh- to be mindful of it. I'm not sure we want to be the type of country that's like, quick, cap this guy before he's old enough to know his own mind. You know, get him in there, get it done. He's trapped. I, I don't feel that's the way to approach these things either I think it, it, it's more responsible and just a better way of doing things to let a 19, 20 year old make up his own mind because if they really feel Irish it won't even be a question mark Evan Ferguson is not a flight risk no one thinks Evan Ferguson's a fr- flight risk Garrett Southgate could go down and bend a knee and promise him the world he was never going to go I think if you're looking at certain players and you're, you're you know if, if there's any doubt personally I'm not so cutthroat as to say you know, let's trap them in this marriage and, you know, because of course if you if you have them then they'll end up being very dedicated. They will play for Ireland. They'll probably have good careers but I don't know. I'm, I, I, I've no problem if, if he decides, do you know what, I, when push comes to shove I do feel more English than Irish then no problem with me. I, I, I don't buy into the oh, we should have locked him in earlier. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, well, I mean, well, any of the Evan, we had this before the Evan Farris and stuff was ludicrous but I suppose a more relevant one would be someone like Joe Hodge who's who's played Premier League football this year, mm. um, is the captain of the 21s, but has been very clear in his mind and done interviews on property. And, and like I know Declan Rice did interviews, but like Joe Hodge has sort of done one-on-one stuff and, and been very clear in his mind. It's like, no, no, I'm, 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 no matter what happens, I'm with Ireland. And people can, tr- you know, can just take a breath a bit. Um, the point that's been made about Canon is that COVID is a factor here that like, you know, integration is a big thing. That's why it was so hard to take with Declan Rice because he'd been in the Irish setup for so long and they mm. probably felt, you know, we've got him here because he'd be, he'd, he was so involved and knew the group. Like Tom Cannon lost his under-19 year. There was no under-19 football uh, in COVID in 2020 and he'd only come into the fold at the end of 2019. So he hasn't spent a whole lot of time with Ireland. Like, you know, he hasn't spent a load of minutes you know, trips away and time away and built up bonds with people and staff and teammates and that's just the nature of it. He's not, you know, we were asked to try Parrot, you, you know, who's, who's 10 months older than Tom Cannon, like he's the same age and it was like, you know, do we've got a relationship with him? He was like, well, I wouldn't say we're best mates. In other words, it was like saying, well, not really, no, like we're not, you know, he's not one of the lads as such, never has been in an Irish sense and I think, I think there's a balance, Joe, like of course, like you need to be shrewd enough with these things and 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 try and mind players and the ones that Ireland have probably kept over the years they've they've integrated them and like made them happy and even the likes of McCarthy and McGeady they like the Irish setup and and 
they felt at home there. I just don't know if they've really had those chances with Cannon like to do it and. Um, yeah, I'm, I just, I, I don't know. You know. I don't like the thought that you have to charm or integrate somebody into nationality. Let them make up their mind. You want to play for us? Great. We'll be as welcoming as you can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. But um, it's a personal point of view. Anyway, look, let him make up his mind. He's 20 years of age. On uh, the game itself then, so Gus Poyet, who, by the way, by the way, when um, John Shea was with us at a roadshow recently, was really singing the praises of Poyet tactically. He's doing some... Mm-hmm innovative brilliant stuff you know so uh, I, ha- I can't claim to have seen much of Greece lately Dan but they were 3-0 winners in their opening game against Gibraltar uh, Gus Poyet interestingly uh, effusive about John O'Shea as well he was saying John was my captain at Sunderland he was the perfect fit for me I went to a club that was in chaos we had 14-15 new players one point from seven games when you need stability then John O'Shea comes into your mind he was a great support for me as a captain you never know who's going to become a coach I had players with me at Chelsea I'd look at them and say no way will he be a coach some you say maybe I knew John O'Shea would become a coach assistant with Ireland now maybe in the future he'll be their uh, number one so uh, very charming doing his thing uh, Gus Poyet what can you tell us about Greece beyond uh, 4-3-3 and uh, it is worth mentioning as we talk about our striking options they have Duvakas up front who was the top scorer in the Dutch league this season with 22 goals if we had the top scorer in any uh, European league we'd be pretty excited so uh, Greece and Poyet 2023 Dan yeah I mean although we're not actually sure about like what role do because we'll play like will he actually be involved that seems to be one of the question marks one of the discussion points well you're um, scaring me if they're leaving their 22 goals in the uh, Eredivisie player off yeah well that's that seems to be a possibility I mean it does seem like um, you know like they they have uh, Jack Amakis who Celtic fans will know who's like a central striker who's playing in the MLS at the moment and like they do play with this 4-3-3 formation which seems to be um, on one side it's a sort of a more of a winger and then the other player cuts inside a little bit more and there's just some debate over whether he'll be a starter but we'll see if that's the case um, I think with Greece I mean we probably talk about Greece often as um, we think of like 2004 and winning the Euros and, and sort of you know not a great team to watch and, and sort of you know you have a certain perception that sticks that way Um I think like what they've actually done under Poyet, and um, they're one of these teams that has used uh, a bad couple of years as momentum towards some better years. I they went down to like League C in the Nations League. Like Ireland, we've always been sort of sort of pottering around League B um, and not really winning very much at all, and not really using that competition to generate any momentum. Whereas Greece fell further than Ireland by going down to C. But as a result, they've actually used it to win a lot of games. Um, under Poyet, that means they already have a playoff for the Euros starting the campaign. So they know no matter what happens in this group, they're in a playoff next March and they're not going to be playing against teams like France and Holland in that playoff no matter what. Um, so it's a weird one. It's a sort of a sort of a free hit for them in some respect, this group. Um, um, but you look at them in recent years, they're the profile of their results in some ways not dissimilar to Ireland that they seem to play well against the better teams and then you look at the odd result uh, against I suppose so-called sort of weaker or similar level side and they have a couple of bad ones in there okay. um, you know that these, these like they've, they've drawn away to Greece or sorry, to Spain apologies and, and like look like a team that can take points off good sides which Stephen Kenny like flagged as a positive when the draw was put together the only slight issue is that when when Greece play Holland, which are the big games for Ireland, like you would think in the in the profile of the group, 
it's sort of later in the year where you're, you're sort of hoping Greece are still interested because they're not automatically in that playoff zone. But for them to be interested later in the year, they sort of need to hurt Ireland uh, over here. So there's like two ways of looking at it. But they have an experienced enough squad. Um, their captain plays in Turkey, um, Basaketas. He's a midfielder. Um, defensively, it seems like they're okay. I think they just from the, I feel like maybe the, the the options there wouldn't be wouldn't be terrific. But in forward areas, they have a sort of a good mix of players. They, they, when I say defensively, I mean in the central areas because their fullbacks would be attacking in a big threat. There's Simicast from Liverpool, who's I mean, look anyone who's at Liverpool, and I know Andy Robertson is the man, but he, he obviously comes and plays regularly enough. Um, and then Baldock, George Baldock from Sheffield United, who's a teammate of John Egan, English-born. They're actually, they've played the granny rule effectively to get him in. But they have two quite attacking fullbacks, um, and you know they're strong enough in terms of bodies further forward. But maybe the centre of defence, there's a feeling that maybe they're not like super strong there. And there's a hope that maybe Ireland could pose them some problems in that department. But they are a team that has a lot of possession in games, generally, you know, generally over 60, 65% in a lot of games. Okay. So it might well be another game where Ireland are a little bit in counter-attacking zone um, rather than trying to dominate the ball. Well, to Ireland then. So against France, it was uh, rear guard action, disciplined, well-organised, uh, hyper-attentive type performance. The uh, best... Uh, aspect in many respects going forward in that game was Seamus Coleman and Shadoze Ogbeni, both of whom are missing. So that is a blow. Andrew Amabamadeli is out as well. So we're presuming Dara O'Shea or Dara Lennon will go in alongside John Egan and Nathan Collins. In terms of the shape of the side, is this Evan Ferguson, lone striker and an array of uh, options behind him? Or is this uh, two strikers and the likes of Obafemi or Ida, who they do really like, or Parrot, who knows, uh, probably not involved, up top alongside Ferguson. Do we have any insight into the line of thinking? No, I think you've probably pitched it there well in the sense that they are the, the, the main discussions. Like I, I listened to Stephen Kenny talking the other day. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel like he's probably talking about... He's, he says Evan Ferguson can play both of the roles, but I don't know... Without Benny being out, um, like Mikey Johnston is a, a very interesting player. He was a talented player um, who was a sort of an out and out winger um, who could play a little bit inverted. But you just feel like the way he's been talking that you feel like it might be a front two with, with Ferguson and that it could end up being very similar to, to France in terms of being that like 3 5 2 or 5 3 2. But I don't know who plays with, with Ferguson in that combination. You would think. Obafemi would be the natural one, um, all things being equal. Um, but he's played so little football. Um, so then you are looking maybe at, like Alameda coming into the discussion, but he hasn't played a lot of football. Didn't He couldn't even play in that training game last week because he was sick, so that could be a problem. Um, but I feel like that scenario is more likely than the alternative, which would be, I suppose, a 3-4-3 or 3-4-2-1, where it's like Mikey Johnston playing behind... Um, or even Smallbone and Jason Knight playing behind in like a box setup with Colin and Malumbi. I feel like if you're going to be in a counter-attacking situation, um, you need something a little bit different for this game. Um, like I don't know if Evan Ferguson is your man up front on the counter-attack. 
mm. that manages that. I feel like Evan Ferguson and, and Kenny speaks about it all the time. Like a Brighton, he plays in a very unique system, like a front two, a four-two-four, where like the wingers are higher than the strikers. Like Evan Ferguson spends a lot of his time almost in midfield. I don't know if Evan Ferguson suddenly flips to being that number nine running the channels, um, yeah. you know, being that that Irish striker away from home. Yes. Um, which they'll need if Greece are going to have that level of possession because Ogbené against France if there is a parallel between the two games uh, Ogbené was such a great outball for Ireland and Jason Knight as diligent as he was in his off the ball work on the left hand side it was Doherty that night at wing back and uh, Knight they didn't pose the same kind of athletic threat down the um, left hand side for Ireland so with Ogbené out if Knight's likely to play again um, you, I mean, you don't want to reduce it to split strikers and we'll play deep and try and play that way, but that does seem like a very tempting option, especially when you've got strikers with pace. I mean, let's not feel too down about that. That's a great option. Yeah, well, I mean, I think Ireland have been quite effective at times in their away games when they've utilised that. Mm. You know, you probably think of certain away games like Ida against Portugal, for example, and, and, and matches like that might spring to mind. So, um, I think I think there's a logic for going that way. I suppose the alternative, you know, Kenny's made this point that sometimes in a 3-4-3 Ireland have more control in the game, but maybe they don't sort of penetrate as well. And like, So let's say you went with something a bit different with, say, Smallbone as an extra body. Like, you know, you could play Smallbone on the right notionally had that great link up with Matt Doherty against Latvia. Yeah. And you might suddenly find you have more of the ball in the game, but when it comes to, I suppose, really sort of breaking in behind, like where is it going to come from? Particularly when Ferguson's natural tendency just seems to be come, to come short. Mm. But that seems to be what he naturally wants to do. And then he spins and tries to get into space if you're getting off the pitch. But, um, you know, it's, it's difficult. Look, I feel like it just this game is going to be very much, and I imagine a lot of decisions are just going to be informed by energy and athleticism and you know, the ability to get around the park. And that, I, I know I, I've downplayed the conditions, aspect of it and it's clearly not the concern it was I mean I suppose if it's sweltering you think it's going to be ridiculous I mean part of it is not to be doing silly running like you want to you know control the tempo yourself to some degree but you sort of feel like there's going to be an element of energy that I think you know Callum O'Dell will certainly play uh, on the left wing back and you've got Doherty on the other side who hasn't played too much but you're probably looking at players who can really get around the park um, rather than maybe this sort of laboured slow Build up, which maybe even thinking back to Armenia last year, um, Ireland were probably a little bit guilty of that, and they weren't, they weren't, they weren't physically great at that time. And there a couple of players they were carrying, and the whole balance of the team just ended up being all wrong. And um, I sort of feel like you might just see in the marginal decisions, like energy will be a big factor rather than say sort of technical ability. You could, you could argue, yeah. And I presume in Coleman's absence, Doherty goes from left-hand side to right-hand side and O'Dowda generally being looked at as best man to fill left wing back? I would have thought so, yeah. Um, I think it's between Dowda and McLean, but I think it's been clear enough. I think O'Dowda would have probably played against France, which would be a tough one. You kind of wonder, it's one of these things, if if O'Dowda had been fit to play against France, would he have dropped Doherty or would he have not played Coleman? I mean, I don't know. Mm. Um, But but definitely, um, you know, I would have picked up the vibe certainly like O'Dowd is the number one in that position now um, and he's had a f- pretty decent season at Cardiff um, 
yeah, I, I think I think him with McLean coming off the bench is the most likely scenario. Uh, the same question I asked you before the French game, and you did correctly answer that night. Which uh, Greek player is going to score from thirty yards? Oh God, I don't, I'm not, you know, I'm not even tempting fate by picking one this time, Joe. I'm just not going there. Mm-hmm. Um, oh God, I don't know. Like, I mean, <laughs> at least not. at least if they're going to inflict, they just do something differently, you know, like uh, a through ball into the area and a clip over the keeper. If you're going to lose, lose to something like that. But you just have this image, all right, of. Uh, Ireland players like a slow motion disaster movie like four or five of them realising what's going to happen as they eventually start to close down this shooter from yeah. distance you know dramatically throwing their bodies in the way so um, what what is your uh, what is your prediction then as we approach the most inevitable one-all draw I've ever seen I don't know. well thank you now thanks for spoiling my prediction Joe is it one-all um, as well Ah, oh, I feel like we're going to get back to the tradition of a one-all draw here, yeah. aren't we? And how how are we to feel about a one-all draw? I don't know. Yeah, like I think if if the order of the fixtures were different, you you'd probably you might feel okay about a one-all draw. And and like in isolation, being fair, looking at levels of teams and so on, I don't think you can be be particularly annoyed with it. But oh, it I, I, like, I don't think we've any right to expect to go to Athens no, and no. Greece. But it feels like Ireland had, again, like this is the whole nature of the group. If Ireland's second seeds were Bosnia or Iceland or, or some of the other, Wales or some of the other options it could have been, then your, your mindset to this game would be completely different. Mm. There's absolutely no doubt the mindset As in we've, we've no room for error, so of course we just have to beat Greece. Well, no, well, exactly. That's, yeah. where we, that's where the feeling is now. Yeah. Whereas in normal circumstances, you'd, you'd probably feel happy enough with a draw because you'd feel like, well, Greece are in this group with us too and it's all a part of the contest where it almost feels like I'd have to beat Greece twice yeah. and, and somehow hope that in the league table with Ireland and Holland against Greece, like they, they get a little bit of a gain there mm. and you know get a bit of a gain in the head-to-head with Ireland and Holland. And that's that's probably what you're hoping for. And as, um, as, as Gus Poyet's comments suggested, and I read them out at the start of the piece, they feel exactly the same about this fixture, if not even more so, because they're at home. Yeah, and look, you reach for the positives. You would hope, you know, as the home side, do they do they sort of uh, do they leave the type of gaps that they want to exploit because they're they're feeling that way? But but I don't know. I mean, Poyet's obviously going to say that, but I still have to feel that they they they're not under the same pressure in a way because they have this playoff against weaker teams coming next year. So. Oh, do they? It's, it's Sorry, I'm not. I'm not always a, a fay with the vagaries. So they have a safety net that we don't. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they are in. They are in a Nations League playoff next March, no matter what. Um, and they already know the three likely opponents they will face, and they're not at the level of 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 Ireland uh-huh. even. Um, so their chances. Are, they, they have very good chance of getting to the Euros. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. So they can have a real pop at this. So um, I mean, this is that's obviously a, a problem. <laughs> like. Um, in another way I, I think you you just would prefer this game to be later on but it is what it is like mm. that's Ireland I think like definitely you don't want to be in this sort of excuse mindset you know um, and I do feel like what I would say is maybe Ireland could win this game like I, I generally feel with, with, with Stephen Kenny's Ireland right and, and there's, a, there's a pattern that's there that when there's a long build up to a game I know they were bad in, in Armenia right and they were but that was a four team four sorry a four game June but he maybe took the right off the ball a little bit because they were playing Ukraine and Scotland um, and Ukraine afterwards. I generally find when there's a long build-up to these away games or to any game 
you know, the first game in a window, it's generally quite good. And what kills them is the second game. You know, a couple of days later, there's a massive hangover. Um, so I feel like, you know, they really should be on point and they will produce a good performance here. Play Gibraltar on Monday and, and, I mean, they might be uninspiring and just get the job done in that game. But I, I don't think it's outlandish to suggest that they can win. You know, and I feel like when they've had a long prep for a game of this nature, um, the performance has generally been good. But but again, and eventually they just have to change the story of, of Stephen Kenny's time where a lot of nice performances in these games, but they just they haven't they haven't got over the line. You know, they haven't just dug it out. And um like that story has to change. Whatever your view on the broader, bigger picture stuff or whatever it is, you know, how fair are the expectations? Um and you, you can come in it from different ways. Like they are a young team, they are, but eventually they just have to sort of step up and look, nick one of these games, yeah. you know, show that sort of, that killer instinct to nick one of them, even if they don't deserve it sometimes. And it sort of feels like, you know, to even get the big results, they have to really deserve it. You know, they yes. really have to, like everything needs to come together. Like they blitzed Scotland that time, which was great. They you know, played really well in, against Ukraine afterwards in Poland, really well, but drew one all. You know, like let, let them back into the game, you know, taking the lead and let the lead slip. They've done that a couple of times in, in these big games. And, you know, in fact, they scored the first goal in a lot of these matches. Serbia away, Portugal away, Scotland away, um, Ukraine away. Um, you know, Ireland have sort of taken the lead, which is great. But they haven't seen it through. And, and that's why they need to sort of write a new story in these matches and, and eventually just take themselves collectively to that other level. Because ultimately, right, this what this 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 group is about two things. One, it's about trying to qualify in top two. But the other in the back pocket is to think that if Ireland end up in a playoff next March, which is quite likely, not statistically certain, but likely, you have to believe that this group has the mentality to go and win those games against similar similar sides. And they haven't really shown it yet. So mm. that's the, the bigger so, so symbolism of these matches as well. Okay. Well, we will uh, reconvene next week, I suspect. At some stage, I'll probably see Aviva Gibraltar We'll have a chat maybe pre-match there and uh, who knows what conversation we'll be having about Friday night. Dan, thank you so much. Enjoy uh, Athens. Enjoy the game Friday. Cheers. I'll, I'll complete the travel review for you then, Joe. I bet you can't wait. I can't. I'll listen, if the sequel lives up to your first effort. Yeah, be good. Uh, be good. Enjoy. Thanks, Mel. Dan McDonald, who of course you can read yeah. as well in the uh, Irish Independent. Ireland, uh, away to Greece. That is uh, Friday night and then Gibraltar on the Monday at the Viva.